faith over fear. How many of you actually might even have a plaque or something at home that says faith over fear? How many of you have seen that before? It's, it's somewhat of a, a kind of a popular saying to say faith over fear. And um, it, it, it's, it is true that we, we need to have faith over fear. And faith is, if you think about what faith is, it's a mindset. Right? Faith is a belief system in someone or something. Whereas, whereas fear is an emotion. Fear is an emotion that oftentimes you might have because you're afraid. Faith is complete confidence in God despite your circumstances. Fear is something that comes and goes because of life circumstances. But fear actually doesn't come first. I know that faith over fear is a popular saying, but fear doesn't come first. The first emotion that we will experience, you will experience, is doubt. Doubt. Doubt is what leads to fear. But if I have faith over doubt, it doesn't really sell very many signs. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't flow. Faith over fear, faith over doubt doesn't. But it's actually the more appropriate saying, to say faith over doubt. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. Faith is a mindset of certainty. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you can't see. So faith over doubt is something that we should have, we want to have, and I understand that... Um, Sometimes it's hard, and if you are, um, if you're feeling like I'm going to beat you up because you doubt God or you doubt things, I'm not. In fact, you're going to like this message a lot. I hope you're encouraged um, by it. This past month, I've been kind of picking on some common sayings that Christians like to say, and and I've been ex- sort of exposing them to to the the real truth, the real biblical promise that God has for us by getting into his word, which is what I do every week. Um, Today my focus is doubt. Um, Everyone has doubts. First feeling you experience leads to fear, but it's not the only thing that it can lead to. Not everyone goes to fear. Doubt can often lead to a lack of trust. Doubt can lead to unbelief, which is why the message is called, Help My Unbelief. And in fact, there was a man who once said that to Jesus. Help my unbelief, Jesus. And I think if we're all being honest today, we'd say the same thing to Jesus if we met him today face to face. We would say, help my unbelief, because no one has perfect faith. My hope is, though, that you're developing your faith. Because you don't want to live constantly in doubt. That's not good for you. There are three people in the Bible that I'd like to tell you. Can I tell you about three people in the Bible who had some doubt? I'm going to anyway, but thanks for acknowledging. (laughs) How did doubt affect Eve, Zechariah, and Thomas? How did doubt affect those three people? If you were to ask Eve, if you could have a conversation with Eve, you know, Adam's wife, if you could have a conversation with her, she would tell you that doubt ruined her perfect life. And she had a perfect life. Doubt ruined her perfect life. If you were to ask Zechariah, the father of John the baptizer, he would tell you that doubt made me a mute for several months. 
That's what happened to him. If you were to ask Thomas, how did doubt affect you? He would say, doubt has given me a notorious nickname that's lasted 2,000 years. (laughs) Doubt led Eve to unbelief. Eve was the first person to suffer from what we call today FOMO. Fear of missing out. Eve suffered from that. Satan, the evil one, came to her and said, you should eat from this tree, this special tree. It'll give you special knowledge. She said, no, God said we can't do that. A tree, this tree's off limits. Satan said, no, you you need to try this tree. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Eve began to think like Satan. Oh, I really want that. Why can't I have from that, that tree? She doubted God. And it led her to unbelief. Doubt led, fear, led to fear for Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth desperately wanted to have children. They were cousins of Jesus' mother. They tried to get pregnant. Nothing happened. Biologically, something wasn't clicking. They prayed. Nothing was happening. Then they just got too old to have kids. And I'm sure that, that brought them to a point of sadness and, and, and hopelessness. And then an angel visits Zechariah as he's carrying out his priestly duties and reveals to him that his wife would have a baby and they should call that baby John. Now you can understand he was a bit skeptical, but he doubted God. And that's when the angel muted him. Luke 1 tells us that when he saw the angel, he was afraid, and now he can't speak. I'm sure he was shaking in his boots. Well, sandals back then. But doubt brought him to this place of fear. And then there's Thomas, who lacked trust. Jesus visited those disciples after the resurrection. Ten of the eleven. Thomas must have drawn the short straw and had to go out for breakfast. And when you go through the drive-thru back then, maybe it was a little long at Fig Hortons, or perhaps it was called Fish King or Duncan Showbread. That's my favorite one. I'm here every week, folks, okay? These one-liners. So Thomas missed seeing Jesus alive. Even after ten of his closest friends told him, we saw Jesus alive. He didn't believe them. And that doubt caused him to lack trust. In God. Doubt can take you to some ugly places. And maybe it currently is doing that right now. Maybe it, maybe it has in the past. Maybe your doubt has got you in a, in a bad place. Maybe you have some things going on in your life. Maybe you got a relationship that's on the rocks. And you doubt God could ever fix that. Maybe there's a, an illness or a sickness and you doubt God could ever heal that. Maybe you messed up really bad and you just doubt God will ever forgive you. We all have our doubts. And I think that it's normal. If you've ever doubted God before, this sermon is for you. In fact, this church is for you. If you've never doubted God before in your life, at least stay for the chili. It's pretty good. (laughs) Always remember this about doubt. It's a feeling. Feelings come and go. Doubt is a feeling. It doesn't have to be your mindset, your belief system. It's a feeling you have. 
It comes and goes. And I've taught you this before. Feelings should be gauges in your life, not guides. They shouldn't run your life. If your feelings are running your life, <laughs> you've probably already figured out that it usually gets you in trouble. They, they, it's like the check engine light in your car. It's a gauge. It, it, it's, a, it's a snapshot of what's going on in your heart. And when you, when you realize what's going on in your heart, my prayer is that you would prayerfully make the right decision. And today it's developing your faith. Doubt can take you to a place of unbelief, a lack of trust, or living in fear. But it doesn't have to. In fact, doubt could take you to a place of greater faith. Doubt can take you to a place of greater faith than you ever had before. It can lead you to trust God more than you ever thought possible. It can help you overcome your fears. That's where doubt can take you. And the great news to me is that you get to decide where doubt takes you. You get to decide. It's your choice. Doubt's common. Happens to us all. In the Christian circles, there's always this kind of like, oh, it's bad, you shouldn't doubt, you're a terrible Christian. No, it's common. We all have doubts. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a year or 40 years. You're going to have doubts. That's normal. The key is what do you do when you have that feeling that will come and go? What do you do with it? So when life gets hard, feelings overwhelm, doubts fill your head, what you do next is critical. And if you were to ask another Christian or, or even share what's going on, and share with, just be honest. I, I love it. I sat down with a couple as they're preparing for their wedding and we did some premarital counseling and they were just honest, like we have some doubts. I appreciated their honesty. They were being like genuine. I love it. And that's what I love about our churches. We're genuine here. But if you were to share with someone, a Christian, and they said to you, well, just have faith. Don't punch them in the nose, okay? Just... <laughs> but sometimes we say those things to others. We mean well, but to say just have faith, well, that's not what God says. God doesn't say to you, just have faith. It's actually a process. In fact, all Christians should memorize Jude 1, verse 22. Jude only has one chapter, so, but we say it anyway. Verse 22, listen to what it says. Have mercy on those who doubt. There's no verse in the Bible that says when someone's struggling in life, when they're in a crisis, give them your favorite Christian saying. It doesn't say that in the Bible. There's no verse that says that. So please, have mercy on those who doubt. Because we all doubt. And here's the truth. God doesn't expect you to just have faith. He expects you to develop your faith. Develop your faith. It's something that you can develop, and it takes time. I don't really know much about cars. Maybe you do, but I don't. I know a few things about cars. I know about headlights and mufflers and air conditioners and sunroofs and tires. In fact, I might be an expert on sunroof motors. Why do I know things? Why do I know about these specific things? Because they broke. <laughs> Every one of those things has broken, some, in, in the sunroof case, multiple times. 
and I've had to fix them multiple times. So I've become somewhat of an expert. I, I kind of know how to fix these things. That's what life is like, isn't it? Sometimes life breaks. Sometimes you have doubts and you need to know how to fix it. You need to know what to do. You can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, this is the way it's always going to be. You can actually do something about it. And I want to help you do something about it. I want to help you know how to fix your doubt. I want to teach you how to take your doubt and lead it to not fear, not unbelief, but greater faith, a place of greater faith. Would you like that? Would that be helpful for you if I share that with you? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story that you may be familiar with. If you have a Bible, open it up. There's blue Bibles in front of you in a chair. They're free. You can take it home with you if you'd like. Next week, there'll be one right where you took it. Trust me, it'll be there. There's one in every row, I hope. If not, then Chrissy's in trouble. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll blame somebody else. So, uh, in your Bible, if you open up to, to Mark, Mark chapter 9. We're in Mark chapter 9. And it's just one passage. Usually I have lots of verses jumping all around, but today it's one place, Mark chapter 9. And it's in the New Testament. It's the second book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 17. I'm going to go verse by verse through this and help you understand the story here. Mark 9, 17, someone from the crowd, Jesus was ministering. He was in the midst of this three-and-a-half-year ministry kind of his tour around Galilee, and someone from the crowd said, Teacher, talking to Jesus, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him mute, an evil spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, uh, earlier in Mark, Jesus had given the, the power to the disciples to go out and do ministry and cast out evil spirits. They had been doing that, but they, were, they failed with this one. They couldn't do it. For some reason, it didn't work. They were confused. They were young men. Young men are often confused. Ladies, am I right? Okay. We don't know how the boy's father knew it was an evil spirit, but he definitely knew that this was not just a seizure. Like, this resembles a seizure, but he knew this was something serious. Uh, this was an evil spirit. Spiritual warfare is happening around us all the time. Um, sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. Um, but it's real today. It didn't go away because Jesus went to heaven. It didn't, it didn't stop. It's still going on. Um, but take heart. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Many of you know that. So we see this boy is suffering, he couldn't speak, he's having these, these horrible seizures. Parents, is there anything worse than seeing your child suffer? No. No. Makes you feel helpless, um, and you just don't like to see your, your children suffer. And so here's, here's the suffering that's going on, and suffering will oftentimes lead to doubting God. When things happen in the world that we don't think are fair, we t I talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? When things happen, when we don't think they're fair, and we say, why is this happening, God? We often ask that question. Um, I told you, the, the blind man, I gave you the example of the blind man in John chapter 9. Sometimes things happen simply to glorify God. Simply to glorify God. And Jesus said this man was born blind so that he would glorify God. But he did suffer for a very long time. God may test you, 
Satan may tempt you, and you may not know the difference between the two, but you just know life is hard. But two weeks ago I said when life is hard, even though the circumstances are, we know one thing that never changes, and that is God is good. All the... That's right. So, verse 19. There's a situation here. Jesus is aware of it now. Jesus responds. <laughs> Not kindly. He says, O faithless generation. What a, what a comment there, right? O faithless generation. Oh, you bunch of doubters. How long am I to be here with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. So he calls out everyone listening, basically. You're doubting. You're doubting. And I don't think he said it in a harsh tone. We don't, we don't get that impression from Jesus. The only time he's harsh and critical is with the religious leaders Right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those who thought that they had the, the corner on the market with what God knew and what God wanted. And he was there to let them know that you don't really get it most of the time. But with other people who were genuinely seeking God, he was never harsh. He was gentle like a lamb. And so I don't think this was, was a harsh comment here because he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who are following him. He's just saying... Doubters, you're doubting. They brought the boy to him. The spirit saw him, the evil spirit, and immediately convulsed in the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. The evil spirit knew his time was up. Verse 21, Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening? And the father said, From childhood. Oftentimes it would cast him into fire, into water, to destroy the boy. And then he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Very popular verse in Christianity. All things are possible for the one who believes. But I really want you to understand what that means especially in the context of the Bible and what we have here. Matthew tells the same story, by the way. That's the beauty of the Gospels. There's four of them, and they tell often the same story from their different vantage points as the Holy Spirit led them to tell it. And so they write, write it down, and Matthew points out a couple details. He says that um, uh, Jesus said, Because of your little faith, truly I say to you, if you have that little tiny faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Did you not sing that song today? Yes, you did. Faith will move mountains. And nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. I know a lot of Christians that love that. Nothing will be impossible for you. And they sort of take that on as like, nothing is impossible for me. People love that verse because it makes them feel all-powerful. If I just have a little bit of faith, I can do anything. God will make it happen for me. And unfortunately, churches all over the world today are teaching that truth. And it's not a truth. 
God doesn't do whatever you want him to do because you have faith. That's not how it works. Here's the truth of that verse. With faith, all things are possible, but not guaranteed. All things are possible, but not guaranteed. What's guaranteed? God's will is guaranteed. That's why Jesus prayed and said, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Faith certainly matters. Jesus was in a place, it tells us this earlier in Mark as well, Jesus was in a town where he could not do much work. It says that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them, but he marveled because of their unbelief. So faith certainly matters. And I taught you about faith this year. I said faith has no power by itself. What does faith do? It moves you, plugs you into the power source. Gets you closer to God. Plugs you into His power because He's all-powerful. There's no power in your faith. Faith is in, or power is in Him. But faith plugs you into Him. Into His power. So all things are possible, but not guaranteed. His will. You need to know what His will is. And then the next verse, verse 24, inspired our title, Help My Unbelief. He says, it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Sounds like an oxymoron, right? I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I I really want to believe, but I'm struggling. I got some doubts. And isn't that everybody's, doesn't everybody say that? If we're being honest, aren't we all like that? And I love it. He's being totally honest. I want to believe, but I'm struggling with some doubt. For years, he'd been going to anyone he could to get help for his son. Nobody could help him. For years, he prayed and prayed and prayed. Then he finally heard about some disciples who could cast out demons, and he went to them, and they couldn't help. So he's struggling. His doubt is genuine, but it's not a rejection of God. You need to understand that about his doubt. You can doubt and not reject God, and he's not rejecting God here. He just wants more than anything to have faith, but he's struggling. He, he, he has some faith. Some would say, um, and, and this is I know this is in some circles, Christian circles, where they believe faith is, is, is everything revolves on, on a person's faith. So if you come up here for a healing service, if they had a healing service, and you didn't get healed, it's because it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You've heard about this, right? We've talked about this before. Um, that's not how it works. That's not, that's not what's going. This man has faith. It's not that he doesn't have faith. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says this. When men have no faith, They're unconscious of their belief. But as soon as they get a little bit of faith, they become conscious of their unbelief. And isn't that true? You become conscious of your unbelief. You realize, I'm really struggling. I have doubts. I have some unbelief. But this man had some faith because he recognizes unbelief. That's why he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And all he needs is a little bit of faith, according to Jesus, so Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. You just need a little bit of faith. So verse 25, Jesus saw that a crowd came 
running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse. They thought he was dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast him out? And he said, this, cannot be, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Now again, don't think that prayer and fasting is, you know, that's going to be the secret key ingredient to, to the power. That, that doesn't become your power, okay? It, what it does is this. David Guzik, the commentator, says, prayer and fasting doesn't make us worthy to cast out demons. Prayer and fasting draws us closer to the heart of God and puts us in line with his power. Total dependence on God is the remedy for many spiritual problems. Amen? Total dependence on God is the remedy for spiritual problems. To be disappointed in yourself is to have trusted in yourself. And that's deep, if you really think about that. So how can you use your doubt to lead you to a greater faith? How can your doubt lead you to a greater faith? What's going to fix your doubt? Well, you don't have faith, just have it. You develop it. And it's not a quick fix. You take some time. It's a process. In fact, Warren Wearsby says this, faith must be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. How do you develop your faith? Through spiritual disciplines and devotion. So if you're going to have faith over doubt, then you need to cultivate it, develop it. You need to daily experience God. Daily experience God. Walk with God, talk with Him, listen to Him. And the best way to know God, experience God, is, you know, drum roll, <laughs> you know, Read your Bible and pray. And isn't that the Christian answer for everything? So you're not really too excited about that. What's your, what's your problem? Well, I got this problem. I got to read your Bible and pray. If you're tired of hearing read your Bible and pray, sorry, it's going to keep coming up. But I'll give you a little bit more today, okay? Yes, read your Bible and pray is important. But listen to what you can do, specifically. I'm giving you a couple specifics here that I think should help you. Read your Bible, and I'm going to give you some books to read specifically. And I'm going to tell you how to read it. You ever, you ever read the Bible looking for something or with, with something in mind, like a focus on something? So that's what I want you to do. I want you to have this focus. How does God relate to his people? How is God relating to his people? Because this Christianity is never, was never intended to be a religion. Unfortunately, we've turned it into religion. There's 20,000 plus denominations. I mean, just move this way, it's kind of funny. You know, Catholics, non-denominational, Assembly of God, you know, Pentecostal, Baptist. You know, and that's like not even a mile. <laughs> We've got all these different denominations. Christianity was never meant to be a religion. 
It was always meant to be a relationship. So read Exodus. See how God relates to his people. Read the Gospels. Pick anyone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. See how Jesus relates to his people. That will help you relate to God. That will help your faith. It'll help you connect with God, understand God more. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17 tells us. Faith comes from hearing. You want greater faith to overcome your doubt? Read those books with the mindset of, the focus of, how is God relating to his people? Specific as I can. There, I said, you don't have to read... When people say, well, just read your Bible. And then, of course, the next question is, where do I start? <laughs> I just told you where to start. There you go. Exodus and the Gospels. Exodus and the Gospels. Secondly, pray. But don't just pray in your head. Many times we think of prayer as, close my eyes, bow my head, and start praying. Start talking to God. But after about 10 seconds, if you're like me, you just remembered five things you needed to do today. <laughs> Am I right? So write down your prayers. Write down your prayers. Write down spiritual markers. You'll notice in the Old Testament, when Abraham traveled, when, when they would travel along, they would set up altars. They were spiritual markers in their life. The next time they went by that place and saw that altar, they remembered what God did for them at that place. Write stuff down. Write down your spiritual markers. Write down your prayers. That way you can go back and look and realize, wow, look what God has done. Look where I was at, and now look where I am. That's going to increase your faith. Isn't it? And your doubts will decrease. Third thing, last thing. Uh, preachers, we got three things for you always. I don't know who came up with it, but we always got three things for you. Schedule a date with God. Devote your time to God. Schedule a date. I know you're busy. I know you got lots of things going on, and if you're like me, nothing gets done unless it goes into my auxiliary brain, my phone. Uh, my calendar on my phone, and if I don't put it in there, I'll probably forget. And I have to do a reminder, so I see it and it pops up. Okay, I'm going to do this. So schedule a date. Take some time. And I'm not talking about your normal devotion time. If you spend five minutes with God every morning, reading a little thing and praying, or maybe you spend 50 minutes or 35 minutes or whatever. I'm saying schedule a date where you go out with God. You go for a walk, you go watch. You're intentional, I'm going to go for a bike ride to the tip of Metro Beach and I'm going to sit out there and watch the sunrise, the sunset, and I'm going to spend a few hours with God. I'm going to go for a walk over here, I'm going to go out, out to the woods and, and take a nature walk, and I'm going to spend some time with God. Do it regularly. Spend time with Him. Experience Him. These things will develop your faith. Read Exodus and the Gospels. See how God relates to his people. Write down your prayers and your spiritual markers and go on a date with God. I hope if you do those things, your faith will increase. I don't even have to hope. I know it will happen. 
It will naturally happen, trust me. And your doubts will decrease. They won't go away, but they'll decrease. Another one will pop up, but you know what? You'll just quickly be able to put away those doubts because your faith will get bigger and stronger in the God who can do anything. Amen? Invite our team to come up and play our final song. Use this time to pray and to, and to just think about what commitment you want to make to God. I ask you just to do that for a moment. Just kind of pray silently and make a commitment to God. What are you telling God you're going to do to develop your faith? He's listening. He's always listening. And make a commitment. Maybe something like that prayer journal, you know, journaling your prayers, maybe that sparks something in you that you know you can do and you're going to do it starting tomorrow. Or maybe it's that date with God that you're going to put in your calendar as soon as you leave today after you eat chili. Or maybe it's sitting down and reading the Bible and seeing how God relates to us. Father, I thank you for all the commitments that are being made today to know you and to trust you in you more. Father, I pray you would develop our faith. I know it won't happen overnight. I know it'll happen with time. But I pray for everyone here to make that commitment, to seek you with all their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.